0: This morning, I, I have a tailored word for this house that I could not preach anywhere else. I need your undivided attention for the next hour, and we're going to see where God kind of takes this this morning. You're in an incredible season. This church is at a tipping point. I think you know that, okay? And I just came here. I'm not here to tell you something new. I'm here to confirm what God's already doing. I'm going to understand what real prophecy is. See, you know, people think prophecies have this, that that a prophet has this incredible gift to come and tell you things. All we really do when you come into a house like this, we catch in the spirit what God's been saying. How many of words are eternal? When you speak words, go, words go into the atmosphere, and they will exist and live there. Amen. How many of the word that goes out of God's mouth that will not return unto him void until it accomplishes that which he sends it to do? So therefore, when there are prophetic words being spoken in this house, they're in the atmosphere. And prophets come and just catch what God has already said, and just declare it as a second witness. It's really that simple. Are we communicating? Now here's what we need to do. Let's stand for a minute and just prepare. Now this is kind of like a Catholic church when I'm preaching, you'll be up and down the whole time. I need you to lift your hands to heaven like you're going to receive, yes. Say this with me, Father, Father. this this house is sanctified. Set apart for your presence, your glory, and your kingdom. We're here to receive. I thank you for the impartation apostolically and prophetically. That which you will do in my heart will transform my life forever. I thank you for the season. This church, Victory Church, is crossing over. This is our year. Things will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated again. I want to quickly, I want to read a scripture, then I want to share some prophetic things God said to me this morning about this church, and it is my assignment this morning to try to um, help you, or, or, or at least from my perspective, uh, the season that we are coming into apostolically. So quickly, let's read the Word of the Lord. Let's go to Isaiah <clears throat> chapter 61. Isaiah 61, very familiar passage, you could also go to the Gospel of Luke, in which Jesus quoted when he went into the temple after coming out of the wilderness, verses 1 and 2. We'll begin with verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. How many know the word because is a word of purpose? Therefore, the anointing has a purpose. All anointings upon your life have a purpose. His purpose was that He has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Five things Jesus did. He came and was anointed for the blind, the bound, the beggar, the broken, and the bruised. Five B's. Are we still communicating? And then he says, And to declare the day of vengeance of the Lord, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty or glory for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build old waste places. They shall raise up former desolations. And they shall repair wasted cities, the desolations of many generations. <clears throat> Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you ministers of your God. You shall eat of the riches of the Gentiles, the wealth of the wicked. And in their glory shall you boast yourselves. For your shame you shall have the double. And for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double. And everlasting joy shall be unto them. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. This church is at a crossing over time this year. When the children of Israel, they had spent a season in the wilderness, and when they were in the wilderness, they developed their priestly calling. It was in the wilderness that God had raised up a priesthood. But when they crossed over uh, the Jordan, they went in and then they moved in their kingly ministry. Understand, your wilderness journey prepares you as a priest. You learn to minister to God and minister to man. But at crossing over time, you come in your kingly anointing. I want you to touch your neighbor and say, get ready to walk in your kingship. <clears throat> this is a crossing over time. Understand when they crossed over the Jordan. Now, if you've been to Israel, you know the Jordan is only about knee deep. But at harvest time, it overflows its banks. So therefore, the crossing over time is harvest time. Touch your neighbor say, it's harvest time. This is harvest time for this church. You're coming in your harvest. And when you cross over into a land that's flowing with milk and honey, why is it a land flowing with milk and honey? Well, understand, because milk is something that you don't create. You just drink it. You receive it. The cows make the milk. The bees make the honey. You receive. This is a season when you just receive what someone else has already been creating for you. Are we still communicating? So we're coming into a season where we're going to receive what others have already been creating for us. It is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. God's going to give you houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, and wells you did not dig. Are we still communicating? But it's crossing over. Understand this. Prior to them crossing over, they went through the wilderness. And when they went through it, they learned to follow the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. When the cloud was stopped, the people of God would have to stop and wait until the cloud moved again. They, they had to learn to be led by the Spirit. Every single day they had to learn to receive manna. Every single day they had to receive their provision for God and trust God that every single day that He would rain manna down from heaven, they would go out in their backyard, or oh, it's the breakfast of champions, right in your backyard, and they would receive this manna every day that would, that would be sufficient enough for that day. But they had to go the next day to get more. So they had to learn to lean on Jesus and trust in him. Your wilderness experience has taught you to trust in Jesus. But then when it was crossing over time, when Joshua took them into the land flowing with milk and honey, you don't see in the book of Joshua the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night. There is no longer any manna. The manna has ceased. Something has changed. When they crossed over, God stated this to Joshua. He said, surely I will be with you. He didn't say, I'm going to lead you. He said, I will be with you. The shift took place in the wilderness. God was in the driver's seat. They had to learn to follow him. But when they moved into a land flowing with milk and honey, now he moved to the back seat and says, I'm with you. There is a place in God that we are coming into where God says, I've trusted you. You have proven to me that I can trust you in your wilderness journey. Now, wherever you go. It's a place and level of maturity that the apostolic is coming into in this day where God's saying, what you do, I'm just with you. Are we still communicating? Remember, Jesus, that when he had started his his ministry with his disciples, he sent his disciples out one day. And when he sends these 12 out, he says, I don't want you to take any script with you, no provision, I don't want you taking your wallets, don't even take your shoes. And so he sends them out. This is, I mean, this is God. He is the source of all things. And uh, uh, he, he sends his disciples out and they go two by two with nothing. So here they're going to have to really walk it out in shoe leather here. They're going to have to trust him every day. They're going to have to flesh this out. They're going to have to do what is absolutely impossible, go out with nothing and trust him to be their provider. At the end of his ministry, he sends them out again. At the end of three and a half years, this time when he sends them out, he sends them out and he says, you remember the first time I sent you, I sent you with nothing. But this time, it's going to be different. I'm going to fill your wallet. I'm going to give you provision. I want you to put your shoes on, get your staff in your hand, and I'm going to give you a sword this time. So what took place when they first went out, they had to learn to trust him. They had to learn to believe. They had to walk this out in shoe leather without shoes. But a shift came where God says, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to send you out now and I'm going to give you everything you need for the journey, for the assignment. This is where we are in the apostolic and what God is doing in this house. You've had to walk with him and trust him and believe that day by day he was going to provide for you. But those days are coming to an end in this church. Now God is shifting you, and the shift is going to be, I'm giving you shoes, I'm giving you a new walk, I'm going to give you enough provision for the journey, I'm going to give you more than enough, it's a season of abundance for this house, and I'm going to give you a sword, a new, I'm going to give you new weaponry for what you're going to face in the coming days, because you've proven that you've walked it out, you've trusted me, and now you're ready for the new. How many is ready for the new? The other thing God began to speak to me concerning this church is he told me, well, this is when he told me you're celebrating 10 years, is that correct? Well, 10 is the number of testing. It is the number of proving. It is the number of preparation. Your days of preparation for this previous season is over. Now you're prepared for a new season. And that's why God is going to give you more provision. That's why there's going to be greater abundance. You're going to find out that things that didn't work will work now. I don't think you heard me. Things that did not work for you will work now. Things that did not work will work for you now. Somebody say yes up in here. Hallelujah. And we're going to see this major shift. But as we do this, listen to me, you have been in such a preparation time. Do you know in Israel when they had the early reign, the former reign, that was the rain that came in the springtime that prepared the soil for plowing time. And that's the rain that you've had for 10 years here. It has been the former rain. It has been the rain that has come to prepare the soil for all the seed that's been sown. So the rain that has come from the presence of God in this house, the refreshing in here, it has allowed the soil to be tilled and the seed has been sown. But God told me to tell you now it's time for the latter rain. The latter rain is the rain that comes in the fall and what this rain does or in the summertime, it comes and it, it, it releases the seed. And so now you're in a season that which you've sown is going to be released. Now what you've sown is going to be activated. The promises of God in this house that have been in delay are now going to be activated. I need someone to show some emotion up in here. Are <laughs> we communicating. So it is my assignment this morning to try to help you to understand the season that we are in, or can I really bring it and localize it to where you are in? You've changed seasons, and we've moved from what we call the church age, and we're moving into the kingdom age. We understand this. Um, I call it the apostolic father-son kingdom age, the apostolic father-son kingdom age, It's a wineskin the Lord is currently using to administrate his kingdom. We have preached the gospel of salvation, but now we're adding to the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Understand, the gospel of salvation, it deals with your problems. The gospel of the kingdom deals with your potential. Are we communicating? Understand, salvation will save people. Holy Ghost will fill people the Holy Ghost baptism, but the kingdom changes people. And what is being preached in this house is not only the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom. And that's why you're changing. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're changing. The season we're in is a word-intense season. And let me explain why it's a word-intense season. Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Now, I know we've used that, and we talk about conversions as someone who is a heathen that becomes a Christian, and we call them a convert. I believe there's much more to that word conversion than what really meets the eye. Are we communicating? Uh, Understand, the word convert means to bring back home again. The word law means doctrine. Jesus came, the Bible says the mandate on Jesus, he came to restore that which was lost. When I grew up in church, we were told Jesus came to restore them that were lost. Well, the them's in the that, but the that's bigger than the them. <clears throat> he didn't come just to restore you that was lost. He come to restore that which was lost. What was lost? What was lost was sonship in the garden. Authority was lost. Stewardship was lost. So Jesus come to restore more than them. He come to restore them and that. We're in, a re- we're in a season apostolically of restoring all that's been lost and that sonship. Are we still communicating? Yes. Hallelujah. So conversion is the restoration of sonship. Apostolic doctrine is bringing the church back, listen to me, to God's original purpose and plan, sonship. In every domain, there's a cry right now for the sons of God to manifest. In every domain of society, there is a cry that's emerging for the sons of God to manifest. Understand something. In this domain, we're not looking for revelation, but manifestation. The world doesn't need a revelation of Jesus. We get revelation, they get manifestation. Here's what God is going to do in this hour. The Holy Ghost is going to have a temple. Jesus is going to have a bride, and the Father is going to have sons. I like that. That's good. Are we communicating? The father was so impressed with this first son, he decided, I'm going to bring a whole bunch of sons into glory. It behooved the father, when he saw Jesus, he said, he, is, uh, uh, he has so given me the glory that I'm going to bring a whole batch of sons just like him into the same glory. So therefore, at the end of this age, please note this, that the father is raising up a company of sons that will be just like Jesus. We're going to come into the same glory that the pattern son had. Someone get excited about that. The same glory, the same anointing, the same authority, the same power Jesus had. Amen. We're going to preach like him, teach like him, walk like him, heal like him, deliver like him, do miracles like him. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Watch yourself. As he is, so are we in this present world. Not the world to come, in this world. Hallelujah. So people ask me what the next season's going to look like, you know, and, and I don't like to label the next season like, you know, well, it's the faith movement or the healing movement or the prophetic movement. No, what it's going to look like is just like Jesus. This, ne- this next move is going to look just like Jesus. If you want to know <laughs> what we are in store for, read the Gospels and all that Jesus did, we're going to do that and some more. Tell your neighbor and some more. It's kind of like Elijah and Elisha. Remember how Elisha followed Elijah? He went from Gilgal to Bethel through Jericho all the way to the Jordan. And there is where the transaction took place of the mantle. Now remember that there was also, understand this, that there was at Jericho there was 50 prophets, sons of the prophets that watched from afar off. And they told Elisha, hey, Elijah, why don't you come with us? Don't you know your old man's going to go up today? They knew they had prophetic understanding of what God was doing. They had present-day truth, but they weren't willing to walk it out. We have many people who are like the sons of the prophets at Jericho who have understanding of the times but are not willing to pursue what God is doing and walk it out in shoe leather. So therefore they knew what was coming, but they didn't get what was coming. Come on, somebody. They did not get the double portion anointing. It's only reserved for those who are following their Elijah. Hello, somebody. And so when they get to the Jordan, I love what Elijah asked Elisha. He says, what can I do for you before I go? He says, well, I would like a double portion of your spirit. He didn't say a double portion of God's spirit. He said a double portion of your spirit. I want what you got, Elijah. I need what's in you. And Elijah responded, he says, you've asked a really hard thing. He says, but if you see me in my ascension, he says, it will be granted to you. And lo and behold, the Bible says that a chariot of fire come down, and a whirlwind took Elijah up. Elijah went up, and his mantle came down. Elijah went up, his mantle come down. And Elisha saw him in his ascension. And the mantle came down because he saw him in his ascension. He gets this double portion anointing. I need you to understand this. The kingdom church in this hour is heading into a dimension in which we've never gone before. I want you to tell your neighbor, we've never come this way before. We've never come this way before. Understand something. We've known him in the church, in his Jesus, in his death. We've known him in his burial, and we've known him in his resurrection. But we've not known him in his ascension. But the kingdom church will know him in his ascension. See, the Catholics even know him in his death. They still wear crosses, and Jesus is still on there. They still left him on the cross, and they never went beyond knowing him in his death. That's why they believe in the forgiveness of sins. They keep going back into the confessional booth. Amen? But they have no power. Our Baptist friends, they believe in the burial of Jesus Christ. You become a Baptist, they will will bury you in water as many times as you want. They believe in the burial of the old man, but they've never gone beyond the resurrection where you can walk in the newness of life. Therefore, listen to me, they have no life in them. Now, our Pentecostal friends, they've gone beyond. They believe the death, the burial, and they believe the resurrection. They believe that we can walk in the newness of life. The problem is they have no authority because they don't know him in his ascension. But there is a generation who will know him in his death, His burial, God bless you, dear, and in his resurrection and ascension. What is his ascension? We will see him seated at the right hand of his Father with all his enemies under his feet. There is a generation in this hour that is in the earth today that is going to know him in his ascension. They are going to go all the way with Jesus to the Jordan to the place of death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and know him, hallelujah, as the Son of David, exalted above all things, seated in heavenly places, laughing over all his enemies who are under his feet. And as he is, so are we in this present world. We are the generation, hallelujah, that are going to be seated with him in heavenly places, experientially in the realm and dimension of the Spirit. Is anybody getting this? Hallelujah. Jesus has no enemies. He's defeated them all. As Elijah, hallelujah, as Elijah took his mantle, he took him to the Jordan, and he takes his mantle, his anointing, and he smites the Jordan, and the waters part. And over they went together. Understand what the Jordan represents. It represents death. Jesus at the cross, the anointed Christ, smote death, sickness, death. Poverty, hallelujah, and sin at the cross. But we need a second witness because every word must be established by two or three witnesses, hallelujah, for it to be operative in the earth in our day. What took place? Elijah went up, his mantle come down. Elisha now picks up his father's mantle and he, listen to me, he smote a second time the Jordan and it parted. He smote death again, and he did double what his father did. I want Jesus' life repeated in mine. Oh, was anybody getting that? We are the people that Jesus is going to repeat his life, and we will raise up as a second witness to defeat, listen to me, as uh, from the position of the finished work, we are going to enforce it. We are the generation to see sickness, sin, and even death brought under our feet as a second witness. We are the Elisha company that God is raising up, hallelujah, to enforce the finished work of Calvary. Someone give God praise. Hallelujah. So let's, by faith, pick up Jesus' mantle. You know, we have people who say all the time, boy, I wish I had Benny Hinn's mantle. I wish I had Catherine Hinn's mantle. You keep those mantles. I want Jesus' mantle. Understand something about the anointing. The anointing never leaves the planet. How many know that, 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 that there's no need for an anointing in heaven? There's no yokes. There's no sickness. There's no sin. Understand, Elijah went up his mantle, stayed down. Mantles never leave the planet. Jesus went up. Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, the mantle came down. Understand, Christ is not in heaven. Jesus is. Christ is in the earth. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is in heaven. But his, his mantle, his anointing is in the earth. It's never left the planet. There is a generation that's going to get this and say, yes, let's pick up Jesus' mantle and repeat his life now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. Are we communicating? Hallelujah. I, as a second witness, witness, I want to appropriate this by faith. Hallelujah. So we see this prophetic typology of Jesus in his church with Elijah and Elisha. He did double the miracles that Jesus did. Touch your neighbor say, this is a season of the double portion. Now, now, we in the church right now, so many people are talking about a season of double portion. But nonchalantly we use this kind of language, but I keep telling people, please define it for us. What really is the double portion? Can I do that for a few minutes? I was going to anyhow. <laughs> Hallelujah. I understand, orphan Christians are unfathered unfathered believers, there are those who have no spiritual father, they have a single portion anointing. So everyone who was born again and spirit-filled has an anointing, but it is a single portion. Therefore, they have enough anointing for themselves to get through, maintain their salvation. Get How many know Christians like that? <laughs> You're afraid to raise your hand. Okay, because <laughs> maybe there's one or two in the room. I hope not. But, but those are orphans, they are those that are unfathered and they have just enough anointing for them. But those who have spiritual fathers like you in this house, a spiritual father and mother, you receive a double portion. Yeah. Wasn't it David who said, anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over? Yeah. See, you have, a, a, have anointed headship here, and if you come under that headship, Psalms 133, hallelujah, your head's anointed, therefore your cup runs over. Yeah your cup's not see single single portion anointed Christians have enough just to fill their cup but when you have a double portion your cup runs over because there's enough for you and everyone around you yes, we're in the season of the double portion and those who are fathering churches like this church victory church get ready because your cup is about to run over yes. hallelujah are we still communicating When Jesus made the statement, greater works shall you do than that which I have done, I've heard all kinds of ludicrous (laughs) reactions to what people think that really means. Well, understand this, is that if you want to know the truth, you go to the truth, because the truth explains itself. Hallelujah. And so I've heard everything, you know, from people saying, we're just going to do twice as many things he did in the gospel. And All kinds of different stories, what people believe. So, But I think the Word of God pretty much explains to us. Understand this. Once again, we look at our our text here in Isaiah 60 and understand what Jesus did. Jesus comes out of the wilderness and the power of the Spirit. The first place he goes to is his hometown. That's where you always begin in ministry, in your hometown. He goes into the synagogue that day. And he goes up for the reading. It is his turn for the reading, and he gets up, and when he opens the book, he opens up to the scripture. He knew the scriptures. If we're going to be effective in this day, we must know the scripture. He knew the place that he went to. It wasn't randomly opening up and oh I'm going to re- oh Isaiah 61. We'll read that today. He specifically went there because the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, for the blind, the bound, the beggar, the broken, and the bruised and de- declare the acceptable year, which is the year of favor. Everybody say the year of favor of the Lord. And then the Bible says that he closed. Now watch what he did. There are prophetic overtones here. This has prophetic applications for us. The Bible says that he took the book, he closed the book, he sat down, and then he turned the book over to the minister. This is what Jesus did. Jesus did not fulfill He did not fulfill all of Isaiah 61. He only fulfilled the first two scriptures. And when he had finished fulfilling verse 1 and 2, what he had done is he had closed the book, the chapter on what he was to do, went and sat down in heavenly places, and he turned the book over to his able ministers. And now we are to do, listen to me, we are to do the greater works. What are the greater works? If you will notice in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, it says, listen very carefully, listen to the language. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. He hath sent me. Now go to verse 3. There is a shift. And he says there, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, and they shall build up waste places, and they shall raise up formula. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't raise up cities. He didn't raise up desolate places. It's for us to do. Understand the we became a they. The he, excuse me, the he became a they. So in verse 1 and 2, it is about him, Jesus. Now we do what he does and some more. Is anybody getting this? We're the generation that is going to get, listen to me, we are going to rejoice in our portion. We will possess the double. We will build up waste places, raise up former desolations, repair the waste cities. We are those that are called the priests of the Lord, the ministers of our God. We will do the double. Jesus fulfilled one half of our text. Hallelujah. He sat down, now we do double. A me became a they. Hallelujah. The me is Jesus, the head. The they is Jesus in the body. Are you with me? Hallelujah. He said that the greater works are going to go to my priests, my kings, my ministers, my sons, and they will possess the double. This is the day of the corporate anointing. We are going to do what Jesus did not do. The glory of the latter house is greater than the former, right? How many know Jesus is the former house? How many know we're the latter house? The latter house will do greater than the former. So if you look what Jesus did, get ready. We're going to do that and some more. I need someone to get excited about this. Hallelujah. Someone says, boy, I wish the Lord would, you know, do in our day what he did in his earthly ministry. Well, he's going to do that and some more. Understand he is alpha and he's omega. He is the beginning and the end. Everybody say alpha. That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. You know this. And then there's omega. It is the last. He is the author and he is the finisher. Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. He was the author. He was the originator. He was the patterned son. He was the model son. Are you with me? And the father, as I said, liked him. He says, I want a whole batch of sons just like him. And that's what God is doing in the latter house. We're the omega generation. Hallelujah. Alpha is Jesus the head. Omega is still Jesus, but in the body. Did anybody get that? Jesus, hallelujah, is Alpha. He is the head. But how many know Christ is in you the hope of glory? Hallelujah. Therefore, hallelujah, please get this. Omega is still Jesus. Hallelujah. In his body, the firstborn of many brethren. Isaiah 60:13 says, uh, 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 I will make the place of your feet glorious. The end time church is going to be known as the foot company. What do you mean the foot company? Well, the feet are the part of the body that's in contact with the earth earth right now. How many know Jesus is in heaven? The head is in heaven. How many know that the whole body of Christ, Paul said, is in heaven and earth? So therefore, we're connected to a much bigger family than what we see here in the earthly planet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone who's gone before us. From the book of Acts all the way to this present time who's gone on into the presence of God in heavenly places is part of the body. But we are the foot company, the people who've come to the end of this age. And we are in contact with the planet right now. There's a promise that he will make the place of his feet glorious. How many know there's going to be a glorious end time church? Hallelujah. I do not care what the naysayers say. I do not care what they're telling you on TBN. I'm not telling, I I really don't care about the destruction and all the terrible things they're saying that's going to happen. Hallelujah. He is going to have a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. We are going to be a foot company. We're going to have greater authority than any generation that ever walked on this planet. We are the generation. Hallelujah. I know heaven is glorious. But we are promised that all the glories of heaven will be manifested through the foot company. Did you hear that? I know you want to go to heaven. Please, don't be in a rush. Hallelujah. (laughs) There are glories in heaven. But we're being told in this generation that all the glories of heaven will manifest through the foot company. So we are here to channel the glories of heaven. Remember Jesus during the third day, resurrection day. He comes forth and what did he reveal to his disciples? He says, here, touch my hands and see my feet. He didn't say, look at the scars on my head. No, he says, look at my hands. On the third day, he revealed his hands and his feet. And I know you know this, but I will assume nothing this morning. Are oh, we doing okay for time? How many know that, 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 that here we are at the end of this age, and I can assume nothing? How many know that God's prophetic calendar is different than our calendar? We we'll, we'll A day to the Lord is as 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is as a day. So therefore, what's one day to God is 1,000 years to us. What's 1,000 years to us is only one day on God's prophetic calendar. So therefore, from Adam to Christ was 4,000 years, but to God it was only four days. Right? Now how many know that from Christ to the present time has been 2,000 years to us, but two days to God? So therefore, please understand this, it has been three days, three days. We're in the third day as far as God. It's been 2,000 years to us, but to God, we are in God's third day or seventh day, or we communicating? So from Adam to Christ, four days. From Christ to us, two days. That's 6,000 years or six days on God's prophetic calendar. Therefore, we have come to the Sabbath day or the third day, if you're counting from Christ, which means Jesus was here day before yesterday. Are we communicating? So therefore, if you want to find out what God is doing in this day, find out what He did on the Sabbath day and on the third day. It's what He'll do. We're a third day people. We hear people saying that. So it's a third day of resurrection. What will He do on the day of resurrection? This third day, He will manifest His hands and His feet. His hands is fivefold ministry—apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers—and His feet is His foot company. It's you. This day, He's going to manifest in resurrection power himself through his hand and his feet. Oh, this is good. Hallelujah. So when he appeared, that's what he manifested to them. In this day, he will manifest his power through his hands and his foot company. How about when the Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path? Why not to my eyes? I mean, his lamp should be a light to our eyes, not our feet. Why? Because this generation, this foot company, will have more revelation than any other generation. Hallelujah. His word is going to be a lamp to the foot company. We are going to get ready to break forth even to greater revelation. You think you know some stuff now. You haven't seen nothing yet. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I need you to understand this. We've come to an hour of manifestation. John the Baptist, he came in the spirit of, Of Elijah but not the power he had no power never did a miracle he came in the spirit or the nature of Elijah he was a spiritual father he was not only a prophet he was an apostle and he came to prepare the way but here is the problem John the Baptist after Jesus comes on the scene John the Baptist is taken he's put in prison he knows that he's about to be beheaded so he begins to doubt in his mind a little bit is this really the Messiah you know or is it my cousin You know, I mean, I'm really trying to figure this out. So he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to inquire, you know, are you the one or is there another one? And Jesus' response is this. I love this. He tells his disciples, I want you to go and I want you to show John that the dead are raised, the lame leap like a deer, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lepers cleanse. He did not say go and tell them. He said go and show them i got to see the video of this someday. I can only imagine. He didn't say go tell them, hey, John, man, folk are getting healed out there, blind eyes, we've been raising it. He said show them. So I can imagine Peter going in the prison, and he's dragging in a dead man. i got to show you this. This is what's going on out there. And he raised him from the dead. Then John comes in with a blind man. Watch this, John. <laughs> you want to see something. And the man's eyes are open. Then James brings in a deaf man. He opens up his ears. He showed them. We are beyond the time of proclamation. We've now shifted into a season of manifestation. We have too many John the Baptist Christians that all they have is proclamation. There has to be a shifting in this hour. Are we communicating? Where we begin to move in the hour of manifestation, it is show and tell time. Show and tell time. Tell someone it's show and tell time. John the Baptist believers are really doubtful and illusional. They are proclamation only, but Jesus came in demonstration. This is the highest degree of evidence. Signs and wonders will be God's greatest buy-in in this season. How many like signs and wonders? Do you know why we were created? To live in the supernatural. Not to see an occasional miracle. You know, every so often we get a miracle and next thing you know, everybody's changing, you know, from pastor to healing evangelist. Because one person gets healed. God stirs the water. Listen to me, that should be the norm. The only person on the planet, hallelujah, in the days of Jesus that was normal was Jesus. Jesus was normal. They thought he was abnormal. Understand, miracles to you and I aren't miracles. It's the norm. It's only miracles to those that don't know Jesus and don't know the realm of the miraculous. This is a season of buying. I told your pastors last night at dinner, we were sitting there, and I had a young man. This is a while back. We've seen all kinds of miracles in our ministry. We've raised two people from the dead. We've seen blind eyes and deaf ears, and we've seen the lame walk. We've seen incredible things. And this young man, we were in a meeting, and it was in town, and it was at a um, it was at, at a center in which many people would come to get food and clothing, and they asked us to come and minister. There was a young man, and I asked if anybody would like prayer, and this young man came up about 19 years old. He's tattooed from head to toe, and he got... Earrings and things hanging everywhere, and I'm loving I'm saying, this is the guy that I went to minister to. And he comes down. I says, what can I do for you? I said, can I pray for you? He says, yeah, you know, if you think it'll work. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, I, I believe it, you know. I said, can I pray for you? I says, what can I pray for? Uh, well, you know, he says, I, got, I can't bend over and I can't touch my toes. I says, why not? He says, I got a rod in my back. I said, well, can I pray for you? He says, yeah, yeah. I laid hands on him, prayed for him, and, you know, no lightning fell. He didn't fall under the power, and I didn't feel no warmth going through my hand. And, and I said, well, son, I says, can you reach over and touch your toes? He says, I told you, I can't do that. I said, just do it. He says, I told you. I said, just try it. He reached over and touched his toes, reached in his back, and he says, the rod's gone. And this rough and gruff kid begins to cry. I said, would you like to accept this Jesus right now in your life? And this is what he said. Here was the buy He says, why would I not want to ask this God in my life who did this for me? Come on, somebody. We need miracles. They're a buy-in of the kingdom. Hallelujah. It even took John the Baptist to see miracles to buy-in to believe in the Jesus. Are we communicating? <clears throat> Understand this. We're moving quickly here. Every Bible story must be interpreted symbolically, not just historically. If I read this as a history book, I go to sleep. I'm so, <laughs> I know, you'll be mad at me after that, but it's true. If I just read it as a book, I will go to sleep in five minutes. I'm out. Amen? Unless I see it symbolically, and unless the Spirit of God breathes on this, I'm not a person that likes to read a whole lot. Are we communicating. Hallelujah. But understand something. On the Sabbath day, there was a man that came to Jesus with a withered hand. Remember the story? And I told you, if you want to find out what God's going to do in this day, the seventh day, also the third day, see everything Jesus did in the Sabbath, he's going to do it again. That's a good study for you. (coughs) On the Sabbath day, there's a man with a withered hand. And he comes to Jesus. Excuse me. He comes to Jesus. And when he comes to him, understand this man represents the church. You see, Ephesians 4.13 says, We are to come into the full stature of a perfect man. So Jesus is speaking to us something here that has prophetic overtones to it. Hallelujah. This miracle occurs on the Sabbath. Something is about to happen. We are now stepping into, hear this clearly, an age of miracles. Not a season, an age. Please understand the days of seasons is coming to an end. Because this season is coming into the kingdom and the kingdom is without end. Can I pause there till you get that? We're coming out of a time where we've had, how many know that we know seasons? I mean, just I had a good season, a bad season. Yeah. God blessed me in this season, now I'm going through hell. This is a rough season. How many are tired of seasons? The kingdom of God, there is no end. It's a kingdom of increase. This is an age of miracles. Hallelujah. We're coming into a whole new dimension and leaving seasons. Hallelujah. This is a perpetual season. Get excited for me, somebody. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So this man represents, this man with the withered hand, an imperfect, dysfunctional church. And this is the church at large that you see. This is what we've seen. In this present day, as we come into the Sabbath, we're leaving the sixth day coming into God's seventh day, the Sabbath of God, we have a man, a church that is imperfect and should be growing into perfection or maturity. Now this man, you can put the helmet of salvation on him. You can put the breastplate of righteousness on him. You can gird up his loins with truth. You can give him a shield of faith. But because his hands withered, he cannot wield the sword of the spirit. So he's limited. He will always be on the defense and not the offense. We've had a church that's been on the defense, always wanting to retreat. Well, let's just go to heaven. That sounds like a really good plan. Let's just get out of here. Because we've not known how to effectively wield We've not had our hand restored. We've been in a state of paralysis, unable to war properly in the spirit, but God is healing the withered hand of the church in this hour. Help me, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He is restoring, hallelujah, the hand. Are we still communicating? This is the 21st century church. Understand, Psalms 78, 54, the right hand has redeeming power. Psalms 98, 1, there's victory in the right hand. Psalms 110:1. 1, the enemies are defeated at the right hand. You can't, listen to me, without, without your hand, you can't fight. Hallelujah. You can maybe ward off some fiery darts, and we've done that in the faith camp. But how many victories have we really had? I'm talking about major victories. Are we communicating? Without the sport of hit the sword of the Spirit, you'll always be on the defense. That's why we've had so many inaccurate, listen to me, philosophies on retreating that have caused us to be paralyzed and withered in the church. Without the right hand, you can't discipline properly. Hallelujah. You can't grasp things without your hand. You can't receive things with your hand. Hallelujah. You can't receive what the Lord is saying and doing. You can't war. He teaches our hands to war and our fingers to fight. With a withered hand, you can't. You can't wrought special miracles through your hands if they're withered. Without the hand, we only have half-hearted praise. (laughs) Hallelujah. The the Bible says we're to be lifting up holy hands, one without doubt and one without wrath, giving glory to God. Hallelujah. You always have to nurse a withered hand. And this is what we've done in our churches. We've had to nurse everybody because they're in a withered condition. I have a friend who was born with a withered hand, and he's always nursing it, always keeping it close to him, always, always always, coddling that arm, protecting that arm, making sure that he doesn't bump it or bruise it. He's always nursing that hand. This is what we, Our churches have become churches of therapy instead of empowerment centers. That's what I love about this church. You're being equipped, trained, and empowered. Amen. Yes, come here. People will come with a withered hand. Let's heal them and get on with it. Let's give him a sword. Hello, someone. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Dr. Luke tells the story best. And the problem with the withered hand, and you will understand this, when someone has a withered hand, it's because the left side of their brain is not functioning right. So, therefore, the withered the problem with a withering church is a belief system. Wow. Hallelujah. His mind needed healed, wrong thinking, inaccurate theology. Our eschatological views have paralyzed the church. And Jesus tells the man, before he says, stretch forth your hand, he says, rise up. The church has to rise up out of those false ideologies and teachings and rise above them. Come on, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird them up. Elevate your thinking. Start thinking from a higher perspective. Start seeing yourself. The Bible says our citizenship is in the heavens from whence we look. We're not looking from the earth. We're looking from the heavens. Our citizenship is in the heavens, not the earth. And we're looking from that posture, that position. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So therefore, Jesus says, rise up. Get out of the negative thinking, the false beliefs, and then stretch forth your hand. Until you learn to stretch to your future, you'll never be healed in your past. When you stretch to your future, your purpose, your destiny, you'll be healed. This is a good church to come to if you need healing. Physical, spiritual healing, emotional healing, because this church is in a stretch right now. Slap your neighbor and say, stretch, stretch, stretch. The answer to your problems right now is your stretch. Stretch to your future, you will be healed of your past. Hallelujah. And when you stretch, dead things will come to life. When you stretch, dead things. If your marriage is dead, stretch. Amen. If you have a debilitated ministry, stretch. Amen. If your business is dying, stretch. This is an hour, not listen to me, to be coddling over the things in your life that are paralyzed. It is a time that we begin to stretch. Hallelujah. Quit looking at the withered hand and stretch. Quit looking, come on, do not allow human reasoning to keep you focused on your problems, your disabilities. Amen? Stretch. Touch your neighbor. Say stretch. Now I'm going to close with this. That really means nothing at our church. (laughs) Apostles are presently restoring the church back into God's ways. I know you understand what an apostolic church is. You don't even need to be given the 12 points. You live in it. It's here. It's just a lifestyle. You understand that in the early church, they followed the apostles' doctrine. There was no New Testament written yet. It was the ways of the apostles. They followed their ways. I need you to get this. I saved the best for last. How many would like to walk in the miraculous? I'm going to unlock a secret. You may already know this. I hope you do that I'm just coming to bear witness to it. This is fresh and new for me. So understand something that it's unrefined. I haven't preached it anywhere. How many know the Word of God has tried seven times in the fire? One of the greatest benefits to going out and preaching is to be able to go four or five places. By the time you hit the fifth place, the Word of God has tried seven times in the fire. The more you preach it, the more refined it gets. So it might be a little rough right now, so just hang on with me, okay? Follow me on this. Apostles are presently restoring the church back into God's ways. The Bible says in Psalms 103 that God made his ways known to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. The word way means path, journey, a course of life, a direction, a way of thinking, a manner, a culture, a course, a course of conduct. We know Jesus is the way, right? Yeah. In the book of Acts, they were known as the people of the way. The people of the way. Why the people of the way? That's what they were known for. When a generation loses its way, God raises up a voice to make straight the way of God. For Understand this. For 400 years, the heavens were silence. There was a, there was a wayward generation. So God raises up a man who is, comes in the spirit, the fathering spirit of Elijah, and he comes to prepare what? The way. Everybody say the way the way. You must get this. When a generation loses its way, God will raise up a man, a woman to make straight the way of God. John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. There are only two ways in God. There's a broad way and a narrow way. Right. We live in a wayward generation. We live in a, listen to me, we are pastoring presently a post-modern church. There is no single defining source of truth beyond human preference. But now you can do or be whatever you want to be, right? And it's okay. That's truth according to you. Why? Because we've lost the way. I'll be we communicating. We've lost the way. Hallelujah. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. This is right to me. So who are you to tell me that I can't be a dog? If I want to be a cat. I saw something that was crazy. A young man is going through, he's gone through $30,000 in surgeries to look like an elf. He's 19 years old. And his parents says, Listen, we gave birth to an elf. You have to let him do it. This is ludicrous what's going on in our world. I know you don't understand it, but they really believe they're elves. He has pointed ears. He's had all this surgery to become an elf. Understand, a father's grace establishes a way. Spiritual fathers establish a path or a way for their sons. Moses established the ways of God for the children of Israel as a father. As a result, Israel experienced God's acts. Oh, you got to get this. Let me break it down. Can I make it plain to you? Moses knew the ways, so he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea, and begins to teach them and show them, this is the way of God. Walk ye in it. He showed them the ways. They experienced the acts. Manna fell from heaven. Water pours out of a rock. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Shoes did not wear out. You men might like that, but the woman would not like it. You women wearing one pair of shoes twice is hard for you. And so all these miracles, they're experiencing the acts of God because a father brought them in the ways. Are we communicating? If we want to see the acts, the miracles, we must have a father in the land who leads us back into God's ways. This is what's happening in this house. Hallelujah. When kings walked in the ways of King David, they were blessed. When they didn't, they were judged. It says they walked in the ways of their father David. And as a result, God blessed them. They knew the acts of God. God would save them from their enemies. He would protect them. He would put a shield around about them. He would prosper them and bless them. But when they did not walk in their father's ways, they were judged. Samuel's boys did not walk in the ways of his father. Therefore, God judged them. Hophni and not did not walk in the ways of Eli. Therefore, God called them the sons of Belial. They're worthless. And the Bible says that he judged them. They did not experience the glory of God. They did not experience the unveiled presence of God. Are we still communicating? There were two men under Paul's care, two spiritual sons, Demas and Timothy. He said concerning Demas that Demas loved the present world more than the kingdom, and he has forsaken me. Why? Hallelujah. He forsook, therefore, he, expo- he was exposed to the ways of God through a father, Paul. He knew kingship, sh- uh, uh, excuse me, th- he knew the kingdom. He knew sonship. He had all this revelation and knowledge, but he forsook the ways of God for that wicked and perverse generation. But Timothy, on the other hand, Paul tells the church at Corinth, who is a young, weak, anemic church, it's like the church in America, and there is all this... Fussing going on in the church. And he's trying to bring things into order. And he tells them, I'm going to send you my son, Timothy, who will bring you into my way. And you have to read the rest of the chapter because then he says, the kingdom does not come in word, but in power. Hallelujah. Because he's coming and he's bringing my way to you, God is going to show you my axe, his axe. Are you with me? So when the people find the way Get ready to see his acts. Hallelujah. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Jesus, last page, left Galilee. And Galilee means the place of circles. Now understand something about Jesus. I know he's God in the flesh. But he come here, and to be the patterned son, he would have to walk this out. That all righteousness may be fulfilled. He would have to experience what you and I experience. He would have to prepare the way for us. So Jesus left Galilee, which means circles. Some of you may have to leave some circles to find the way of God. Some circle of friendship you may have to leave. And so he left and he finds John the Baptist. And he says, John, you need to baptize me. He says, I can't even tie your shoes. He says, if you don't do this, all righteousness will not be fulfilled. He had to, listen, I know he had a heavenly father. He had to find an Elijah who would show him who had already prepared the what? The way. And when he did, he was immersed in the water, came forth, the Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. It wasn't a pigeon coming on his head. It was symbolic like a dove. And then the Bible says he went forth, and listen to me, he manifested the acts of God for three and a half years. He had not done a miracle till this time until he found a father who brought him in the way. Are you with me? John's ways preceded Jesus' acts. Jesus did not, could not perform a miracle until a father led him in the way. When Jesus left the, when he left the region of Jordan, he left in power, the Bible says, in power. It was not until he met a father he left in power. And he went back into his ministry in power. We need spiritual fathers. We need spiritual mothers. I'm coming to a close. If there is no oil on this generation, they will be overcome by the spirit of this age. We need covering to cover our head in the day of battle. This is a good church to be covered. I said, This is a really good church to be covered. Get your kids in the house. I'm going to get in trouble here. Brother Glenn, you might want to start my car. I might have to run. (laughs) They applied the blood to the house in Exodus on the doorpost of the house. And at midnight, What hour are we at? The midnight hour, crossing over into a new day. At midnight, the death angel came and only passed over the houses that blood was on the house. He did not say put blood on the heads of the children of Israel. Put it on the house. The blood washes of your sins, but the blood is not on your head for perfection. The blood's on the house. So someone says, well, am I protected? Well, I don't know. Are you in the house? Because the blood is on the house. This is the house of God. This is the household of faith right here. Not the building. Amen? It is this body. It is family that God has fashioned and framed together. He's taken a man and a woman. He's framed them and fashioned them with his own hands, and he's raised them up as apostolic mother and father of this house. They become the covering, and this is the house that God has given them. That's why, understand, the word house means family. So that's why when Joshua says, for me and my house, he's saying, for me and my family, me and my family. he didn't mean his little house is going to serve God. He meant my family. This is the house of God. And over this house, being in this house, in this covering, you're protected. Did anybody get that? Thank God the blood has washed you and forgiven you your sins. The protection comes when you're in the house. So what's a generation? See, now this is where we have a problem because we've learned this from society that we try to figure out generations. And, and if you would go Google it, look online, people have all different perspectives. Well, you know, the millennial generation, then our children are a generation, then, then you know, my age is a generation. Well, I beg to differ because that's not what the Bible says. Nowhere in the Bible does God divide up age brackets and call them a generation. Nowhere in the Bible. In fact, what he said about the children of Israel when they were through the wilderness, he said this is a rebel generation. All of them were included, from the children to the oldest. When Jesus come down the mountain of transfiguration, he said this is a wicked and perverse generation. He included everybody. Here's what a generation is concerning Scripture. A generation is a genetically connected people in a specific season and time. That's why we are a chosen generation. This house is a generation in this specific time and age. A chosen generation is, well, you know, maybe the next generation, they'll be the chosen ones. You are the chosen ones. And this generation is made up, listen to me, of your 5-year-olds, your 10-year-olds, your 20-year-olds. We are breaking, listen to me, the generational barriers, so to speak, and understanding that we're one new creation. We're one new man in God. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female, but a new man. That's what this house is made up of. Hallelujah. Understand this. The word generation comes from two aromatic words. It means gene nations. Gene nations. The word gene comes from the word seed. So a gene seed produces a nation. You cannot have seed without a father. The reason why we have wicked and perverse generations, rebellious generation, is because we have not fathers. We have fathers. A father puts a gene seed in you. He regenerates you. Regene. Regenes you. You've been coming to this church and being regenerated. It is a process. Every time this man and woman get up and they begin to speak, they are putting seed in you that is regenerating. We, don't, we have re-evaluations. We have rehabilitations. It doesn't change anything. We need regeneration. And so God is putting His genes in you through the Word of God in this man and woman and regening you so you can look just like Him. We are being restored back and getting the image. I know I, I'm done. We're getting the image of God back. Understand something. God made man in His likeness and His image. His image is His face. His image is His presence. His image is His character. His image, listen to me, is the gene of who He is. After the fall, you find in chapter 4 of Genesis that God made man in His likeness, not His image. The word image is not there. Likeness represents skill, talent, ability. Everybody has the likeness of God. Everybody has skill, talent, and ability, right? But not everybody has His image. What apostles do is restore the image of God, the character, the nature, the face of God. We have to give God a face. Hallelujah. It has been a faceless generation, but God, hallelujah, is putting a new face on the 21st century. It is the face of Jesus, and he's regenerating us. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And this generation, hallelujah, you will not have a generation without a father. The acts of God become evident when a way is prepared. The acts of God become evident when the way of God is prepared. I said all that. Someone could have probably said it much better in five minutes. I said all that in the last hour to say this. God has sent you a man and a woman to prepare the way so you can know his acts. I'm going to make a statement that most pastors say the opposite. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I've heard people say, I don't follow no man. How can you follow a God you can't see if you can't follow a man you can't see? It's impossible. <laughs> How can you submit to a God you don't see if you can't submit to a man you can't see? That's, that's foolishness. I've heard pastors tell say, don't follow me. Why are you afraid for your people to follow me? I tell my people, follow me as I, as I, as I follow Christ. I tell them, if I quit following Christ, run. <laughs> but if I'm following Christ, follow me. Someone has to prepare the way. I'm making a way. I'm bringing a culture away. I'm raising up a generation. And it means, listen, I said all that to say this. A father puts a seed and creates a family. But the family creates a generation. The word generation means gene, nation. God told me to tell you that this church has been a family. Now get ready. Victory Church is going to become a nation. You will reach the nations right here from Fort Erie, Canada. Because God has set a man and a woman in your midst. And you've recognized the anointing upon their life. You may not have been able to communicate it like I just did, but something inside you has been drawn to them. It's the Christ in them. And as you follow them, get ready from here on out, you're going to experience the acts Let's stand to yeah. our feet. <clears throat> if I may, I want to do two things as I close. Can I we do this? Hallelujah. The Lord spoke to me when I was driving up. He said that this is a season of epiphanies, church. The word epiphany, thank you very much. The word epiphany comes from two Greek words, epi and phanero. Epi means upon, Fanaru means to be a parent. Jesus had an epiphany. We knew nothing of Jesus. He was hidden, hidden from the age 12 to the age 30. We have no record of Jesus' history, what he did. He was in a hidden place until the appointed time when he would step into a season of epiphanies. Once he found a spiritual father, not just a heavenly father, and found the ways, and submitted to the ways. For three and a half years he walked in the Acts. When he come up out of the Jordan, the Bible says, the heavens were open, and there was a voice that says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit of God came on him. Everyone around it, that very epiphany. Because what was apparent to God in the heavens concerning his son Jesus, now with the epiphany, become apparent to Jesus, and everyone around him. This is my son. There is the hidden man of the heart inside of you that you walk down the streets, you look no different than the person walking beside you because there's something hidden in you that they don't know. They've not known the Christ as in you the hope of glory. They don't know the mystery of godliness. You do, but they're getting ready to know. It's a season of epiphanies that everything that God has seen and that is apparent to God about you is about to become apparent to you and everyone around you. It's a season of epiphanies. I want you to lift up your hands and just receive that right now. Say this with me, Father, I thank you. You've brought me to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is our season at Victory Church. It's a season of epiphanies, a season of suddenness. Everything that you've known about me is about to be revealed to me and everyone around me. What's apparent to you and all of heaven will now become apparent. To you. I thank you for sending me to this church. I thank you for the set man and the first lady. We run with them. We follow them. We trust them. I want to do something right now, talking about hands. So I want you to put your hands in a position in which you're going to receive from the Lord. Just, that's it. Just holding your hands out receive. I want you to say, my hands are an extension of His. They reveal His loving touch. These hands are sanctified. There's power in these hands. It's an open hand, not a closed hand. I bless with these hands, these hands, God is teaching me to war and my fingers to fight. There's deliverance in redemption in these hands, authority in these hands, special miracles in these hands. I lay hands on the sick and they recover. I lay hands on believers and they are filled with the Spirit. Creative miracles are in these hands. Let's bring restoration. These are holy hands. These are God's hands. They're an extension of the body. I lift up holy hands without wrath or without doubt. In Jesus' name. You have ten fingers in your, on both your hands. That's the number of restoration. Through these hands you can impart life. How many believe in the laying on of hands? I don't believe it's something that went out 2,000 years ago with the early church. How many know that we are made of clay? Everybody knows that, right? How many know that clay is a transmitter? They use clay as a transmitter. That's how you can lay hands and impart from one person to another. I literally can transmit what I have and impart what I have to you. I believe in the laying on of hands. I believe that what God has put in you, the issue of life can flow out of you through your hands. Your hand is a transmitter. Don't forget that. Paul says, lay hands on no man suddenly. Why? Because you could be partakers of their sins. The Bible says that signs and wonders were done by the hands of the early church. They laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Jacob's hands were stretched to seed to impart inheritance your spiritual father and mother can lay hands on you and release an inheritance to you, all by the laying on of hands. Your hands are a powerful extension of him. The Bible says Moses lifted up his hands and Israel won the battle. Why? Because he teaches your hands to war. And have to fight, you bless with these hands. I don't take it lightly when I shake hands with people. I realize the power of impartation. Are we still communicating? Hallelujah, your hands are a point of contact. Yes, they are. These are God's hands. Created for Him. The Bible talks about an open hand or closed hand. A closed hand is one of anger. We never do that. I never raise my hand to my son I'm gonna slap him. Oh, he's gotten good whooping, but I don't raise my hand. Amen? I discipline with the hand. I understand the power in this hand. People do all kinds of wrong things. They gamble with their hands. They they do drugs, terrible things. They were created. How many know Jesus redeemed your hands at the cross? Nail pierced hands. There's power in those hands. I want you to understand what you carry. What is in your spirit can be released through your hands. Don't forget that. Sanctify those hands. Make sure they're his hands consecrated for his use of hands. Feels like, you know, maybe I can relate to the man with the withered hand. I want you to take your right hand and just stretch it as an act of faith. Come on, just stretch it forward. Stretch, stretch. I mean, stretch it as far as you can go. Father, today, I pray no paralysis in the hearts and minds of this people that the hand of the Lord, hallelujah, is stretched forth through them that all disabilities, that everything that has brought paralysis in their life, today we break it in the power of Jesus' strong name, in Jesus' name. We stretch this day together to our future and we will be healed of our past. This is a day that we are going in a thrust forward, God. And as an act of our faith, we stretch our head and say, God, these are your hands, we stretch this day on the Sabbath day. That this day we will be whole. I want to do two things as I close here. Friend of God, last night when you were talking, I know you know she has a passion for a healing ministry. This house is marked for it. There is a healing campaign that's coming to this house. And that which you've been believing for and praying for. God says, your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard, nor has it entered your heart, the things that I have prepared for you. But by the Spirit now, you will begin to see those things released. There are miracles prepared for this church. They've been reserved for this day and season. And now is the time for their release. They're going to release through praise and worship, through the laying on of hands, through the spoken word. They will will be released just because of your presence, just because of what you carry. This this church has known the presence of God to a degree. but now you're going to know his, His total unveiled presence, total unveiled presence in a way you've never dreamed or imagined. It's going to be heralded from this house that the healer's here. Because understand something, you cannot preach the kingdom like this man and woman of God preach without seeing signs and wonders following. Every time Jesus says go preach the kingdom and heal the sick, they accompany one another. Now you're going to to see that there is going to be a, listen to me, listen to the language, a parade of miracles. How many like a parade? Holy Ghost said a parade of miracles, a parade of miracles. I am a hearer, not a seer. Once in a while, God will give me a vision. I'm a hearer. I hear God. I am my Father. So I guess that's why He's kind of like, doesn't give me many visions. And I have to see it. I can hear it and say it. So I hear it and say it. But I had a vision. I get excited when I get one because I don't get them too often. So when God gives me one, I let people know, hey, I had a vision. Because those people all the time, I had a vision today. I had a vision yesterday. I don't get too many. I saw a huge cocoon. That was cracking, and inside was this light that was unparalleled. Never seen nothing like it. It was so glorious, and it was shooting these beams of this bright white light. So white, I've never seen a white quite like it. It was almost like the unapproachable glory of God that you read in the Scripture. It was that glorious and this cocoon was breaking open i says god what is it he says i'm breaking the matrix of what they've been in for 10 years and i'm going to cause my glory to shine forth and this has been a church that's been in hiding get ready it's show and tell time your coming out party is here it begins as there's been a hiding remember that god told elijah go hide yourself then he said go show yourself It's a showing time. A demonstration and manifestation. Get ready. Stay close to the man and woman of God. Acceleration, things are going to speed up quickly. What would take years to do, God will do it in one day. Last thing I want to do, and I mean that. Anybody who feels that you have a calling, you've had a desire, to see the sick healed, to pray for the sick, to lay hands on the sick, I would like you to come up here quickly. And can someone help me to remove these, please? And this, thank you. Is this okay, Apostle? Thank you. Come up as close as you can, please. I want to release this. That's beautiful. Thank you very much. I love it. I just want to release this because this is a day that God is going to release an army. He's going to release an army, an army of healers. I call them medicine men and women. You know, recently God showed me something. It's the priest in the Old Testament, the high priest. He he had garments, and the garments went all the way down to his feet, to his sandals. And at the bottom was, and you know this, there was a bell and a pomegranate, bell and a pomegranate. Bell all the way around. And as long as he was stationary, you would not hear the bells. Now, pomegranates, I think you understand, in those days, they had medicinal purpose to them. There's healing power in pomegranate. The bells represent, listen to me, the bells represent prophetic proclamation. And when the high priest would begin to move, the bells would begin to make a noise. Because when the priest would move, healing was in motion, miracles were in motion. And the sound of proclamation, recently I heard, I heard those bells and God said, my foot company is starting to move. And with the foot moving, the bells are now declaring and proclaiming that healing is here. I wanna say, I know that I have, I'm a a churchist, I love it, I have, Red stories, red church history, those that were in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, the great tent revivals, A.A. A. Allen, Jack Coe, Marion William Brannan, Charles Price, the list goes on. Boom. I said, God, I says, why can't we see that in our day? You know what the Lord told me to tell the church? He said, those were just spies. I spent them into the land. I sent them in the land to bring back fruit to show you what it would be like when you what cross over. What time do we say it was? My God, I'm getting excited right now. My shout's about to come on. Are we still communicating? Hallelujah. So they were just showing us of what we're all going to do corporately. They were just spies. Hey, here's what it's going to look like in the coming days. We viewed the land and we brought back the grapes. Those men that did those miracles, men and women, all they were doing were spies that went in to show us that you and you and you and you and you and you and you, 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 all of you can do what they did because this is the day of the corporate anointing. Lone Rangers are gone. You know that. Come on, even Batman needed Robin. This is the day of the corporate anointing. Hallelujah. Our individual destinies are found in our corporate identity. And that's why God has gathered you here. Now God is ready to to release a parade of miracles. Lift up your hands. In Jesus' name. I'm not going to lay hands on anybody. The Holy Spirit can do that job. He does it much better than me. Father, right now, all over this room, standing up here, men and women have come and said, Lord, do it again. Do it through me. Let me be the vessel, let me be the instrument Let me be the oracle let me, let me be the man, the woman Let me be the carrier, the anointing To heal the sick And listen saints This day is more than just healing bodies This is the day we're going to make men whole Spirit, soul and Wholeness will be their portion So Lord God I pray even now In the mighty name of Jesus. Spirit of the living God, stretch forth your mighty hand upon every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that's standing here to receive a fresh and for healing. Let this house be known. Let it be heralded abroad that the healer is in the house.